0: Hi, friends. Welcome to Womankind. This is your host, Kelsey Novitz, and I'm here with my guest for this week, Suniti Tapa. So, Suniti is from Nepal, and she has lived all over the world. She came to the United States for college, and she considers herself to be a global citizen. Um, Recently, she quit her job in banking and finance to pursue her dreams, and so now... Um, She is working for a nonprofit. she runs her own tea company, um, and she's in the process of learning about design. So hi, Suniti,
1: welcome. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Nice to be here speaking with you.
0: No, I can't wait to get into, uh, you have your hands in so many things, and I can't wait to talk about (laughs) all of them. Uh, But first, let's just give my listeners um, a little bit more of your background. So what is your story? Where do you... How
1: did you start? Yeah, um, so um, I grew up in a in a small village in Nepal till I was um, around eight or nine years old. Um, then I moved to Kathmandu, which is the capital of Nepal, to go to a boarding school there. When I was um, and I had an amazing time in a boarding school. So my closest friends still now are from that boarding school. When I was about 16, 17, I got a scholarship to go and study in England. And that opened up a lot of opportunities for me. And that was the first time that I'd ever traveled outside Nepal. So there was a big cultural shock for me oh, as well.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, moving to England on my own. Uh, none of my family members had ever traveled there. So that definitely was an interesting experience. I went and studied at uh Pestology Village, um, where we had students from um, various developing nations, such as, um, like, India, had people from Zambia, Zimbabwe, all over the world, basically. Um, and after two years of living there, I moved to uh, Boston um, to go to college there. Um, I studied economics um, for my undergrad. And I think... Uh, while studying economics, and I think, given my own background, having been raised in Nepal, um, I wanted to um, find innovative ways to solve poverty. And again, that's a really big issue. Um, And I guess back then, um, I wanted to find solutions in my own terms, my own ways, and from whatever I understood. So that led me to Pursue a number of internships around the world. Um, I went and worked in India on a microfinance project in Dharadun. I went and worked in Haiti uh, with uh, the local bank that was trying to expand their. Microcredit divisions to rural areas, so that uh, young entrepreneurs in rural areas would have better access to credit and financing. And we also got some uh, grants from USAID, UNICEF, sorry, uh, there. And then, um, I guess, uh, in my um, senior year, I realized I wasn't ready to step into the real world and get a proper job. So I want to take some time off and uh, explore. And that led me to Germany. I'd never been to Germany before that. I went and worked with in-house economists at Ali Hans. And that, again, was a very interesting experience, living somewhere very different from where I'd ever been. And, again, um, working on issues that I cared about and was passionate about. Uh, I really loved that. And then in my senior year, I went and just interned with uh, McGraw Financial. It's ca- called S&P Global now at their corporate strategy team. And I guess after I graduated from college, I went to pursue a full-time job at um, S&P Global, worked there for a year. And after about a year, I moved to HSBC Bank USA. I worked, I did um, coverage banking Uh, where I uh, looked at a portfolio of uh, subsidiaries, multinationals companies in the US. And again, a great learning opportunity. Um, I'm so glad I had the opportunity to do the job that I did. But again, um, after working for about four or five years, um, I wanted to um, take some time off and explore my own dreams. Um, And that led me to um, basically run a tea company, it's called TTT, where we work with small um, farmers in Nepal and try to find a market for that tea in the US. And right now, uh, we sell primarily on Amazon and have been uh, called their bestseller seller number of times. Um, alongside that, I run a non-profit called Innocence Learns. It's a 501c registered non-profit in the US. Basically, the idea is um, to create curriculum alongside our partner organizations in Nepal, where we help children between 8 to 14 years develop protective behavior against sexual abuse. So in Nepal, it's a, it's a fairly um, uh conservative society when it comes to talking about sexual abuse nobody people do not open up even in families people do not talk about body boundaries or what abuses or even sex and what we do is we try to um, come up with material that the children can easily digest and sort of make them aware of their own body boundaries um so um, so yeah, again, so we have a partner organization in Nepal, and um, we primarily work through them. And right now, we b- work with two different schools in Nepal. And right now, we're in a process to implement a pilot to six more schools. Hopefully, we plan to scale up starting from next year, depending on how the, depending on the results from the pilot. We also want to work alongside the government. But again, it has been a big learning experience for me, and I'm so glad. I had the opportunity to start an organization like this and have the help and support from various team members um, in the organization. Yeah, and besides that, I'm also learning to be a designer right now. (laughs) So, yeah, so I think I'm just exploring at the moment, you know. And sometimes I feel um, when I was a little uh, girl, I had a chance to live, live in different parts of the country because my dad worked for the government. So we would move from one village to another village or different cities in the country. So I sometimes wonder whether that um, sort of so the seed in me to be more of an explorer and adventurous. Uh, I guess that is the, the life I'm leading right now. Wow. What an
0: incredible journey you've been on.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> um,
0: I want to talk a little bit more about the nonprofit. So what is the name of
1: the nonprofit? Yes, it's called Innocence Learns. Okay. And you founded the nonprofit? Yes. So I founded the nonprofit about two, two and a half years back and In the U.S., we currently have team members from various backgrounds. Some are filmmakers, some are entrepreneurs, some are consultants, some are psychologists, some are educators. So the idea is to bring together people from various fields to creatively come up with solutions to combat um, sexual abuse in Nepal. And uh, basically, uh, I founded the organization alongside my um, team members after the earthquake in Nepal. So there was a big earthquake in Nepal in 2015 that led to a huge issue of homelessness in the country. And there were several articles that came up that mentioned how uh, children were very vulnerable to abuse because the parents were not attending to them. And also from my own experience and talking to different people that led me to uh, found the organization in two thousand and sixteen. Wow, that's, that's yes.
0: That's, yeah, that's yeah. so you identified the a need and then created an organization to fill that space.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, I also like tried to see what was being done around the world uh, to creatively come up with solution for that, and I think after talking to uh, various survivors of abuse like talking to different children in the country, looking to the curriculum. Um, We try to um, basically come up with um, like workshop materials um, that children would be able to digest right. and again, like we want it to be very organic um, that is why we create a little bit of material then go we go to classrooms and test the material and that is where we are right now so we went to two schools and got feedback on our materials and right now we're trying to again go to six different schools to test our materials so we oh. want that feedback process to be very organic so rather than we going and be like oh this is what you guys should learn about you know <laughs> right absolutely kind of like
0: yeah. going to the source and seeing what works
1: exactly and again we uh we have partner organizing like we work with a youth organization in nepal and they give a lot, us a lot of feedback as well so we are basically trying to use expertise of different organizations and people uh to work with children
0: Wow, amazing so do yeah. you have to travel back and forth between nepal or do you basically run it in the united states and then send materials to
1: nepal So right now, so I'm based in the U.S., uh, but my team members, uh, they travel back and forth. Also, our partner organization that does the implementation, they're based in Nepal. So they do, uh, they go to classrooms and facilitate the workshops. So, however, we do a lot of calls every week um, so that all of us are on the same page. Oh, okay. Awesome. Sorry. I was just trying to figure out the logistics of it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, So in the U.S., basically what happens is, so we have a team in the U.S. We also have a, like, and our team in Nepal is basically our partner organization. And we work together hand in hand um, to go to classrooms and teach children. That is so important.
0: And that's a good line of defense, having the children themselves learn about
1: the topic. Exactly. And also, you know, um, what we try to do is rather than telling kids, okay, sexual abuse is this, sexual abuse is that, or the, uh, this is how you define body boundaries, we try to sort of make them think for themselves. For example, um, one of the exercises we make children do is we ask them to draw a, a triangle where they can write the name of like the family members and the very close friend if something happens to them. The idea is that you can whatever secret you have you can tell a secret to some like somebody who's older than you. there are people sort of like making them realize that people in their lives okay whom they can go and um, confide with you know so sort of like we try to play like sort of come up with ways mm-hmm. <laughs> So of yes to help children think for themselves as well. Uh-huh.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. Now, you also have a tea company.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about that. What is the name of it again? It's called Mm -hmm. Tete Tea, Tete Himalayan Tea. So right now, uh, we have three flavors. We have white tea, black tea, and green tea. Um, So the idea is that a lot of people have heard of Darjeeling Tea, uh, it, it's very popular in the global map amongst tea lovers. However, uh, Nepali tea, although uh, like the part of Nepal that grows like like really good tea, just as uh, Darjeeling tea, it's not well known just because I guess people have not been as successful to market that tea to the to the global world. So the, my goal is to bring Nepali tea. Uh, to put the Nepali tea in in the global map uh, and help the farmers there. And again, we are running in a small scale right now. Um, However, um, uh, our results so far is that people have loved our tea. We have gotten exceptionally good feedback when people have tried it. And we're in a process to uh, expand our flavors and also go to the retail market.
0: So where are you selling
1: right now? So we are selling on Amazon. Okay. Yes. Cool. Awesome. I... Oh, go ahead. We sell on our website as well on Amazon. And um, we have been called Amazon Choice several times uh, based on people's feedback. Mm -hmm. So that's really encouraging. Yes.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) So is this something that you grew up drinking this tea... Um, and you knew it was something that was like very specific to the region and you just wanted to get it out there to
1: the world, basically. Um, so growing up, um, again, tea is is an integral part of South Asian societies. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but we, we, we grew up drinking, um, milk tea mostly. However, um, I was aware that our green tea was exceptionally good. Our white tea is, again, really good. So I guess, like, I sort of was aware how good our tea was, had tried it before. And I guess Mm -hmm. I became more aware of how exceptional Nepali tea was after I moved away from the country and had a chance to try other flavors from different countries. And that's when it hit me, oh, our tea is equally good or more so so why is it not in the global map right Uh, that led me to work on it
0: awesome yeah you're like we have something special here and we need to share it (laughs) exactly exactly so this is reminding me of a story that i actually heard this week um are you familiar with um the port of mocha coffee company
1: I've heard of them, uh, but not very well, yes. So, I actually
0: was at a conference earlier this week and had the opportunity to listen to Mokhtar, who is the founder of the company, speak. And it's a very similar situation, except it's with coffee instead of tea. And so, <laughs> Mokhtar, he's actually, he grew up in the United States, um, but his parents were from Yemen. And he traveled back to Yemen to meet with some of the farmers and some mm-hmm. of the people that were growing coffee there to, because you know, that it was the same thing that you said. The, the coffee that they had there was just this really special product, and he wanted to see it at a global level. Um, yeah. But his story ends very differently from yours because he ended up going to Yemen and getting trapped in the country because of their civil war. Yeah. Um, and so he spent many years trying to get out of the country. Um, And now he's back in the United States and he has this coffee company. And the reason that I saw him is because he had a biography written about him. And so he was talking about the experience of the biography. So this is funny. It just connected to your story, I thought. I know. (laughs) But yeah, so that's a a coffee company. So that's not competition for your tea company. (laughs) That's good to know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they sell tea. (laughs) Um, so then, so talk to me a little bit about how, so you're working in finance, you're working in banking. And I think your story is very interesting because I think we have this picture in the United States of banking and financing finance being very, like boring and mundane, and not really the field that you would go into if you're looking to, you know, give back or help people Um, I don't know I think there's like a perception of that that it's just kind of like boring and like we have like Wall Street and people that are in positions of power kind of painted as like the villains in our country Um, but it sounds like your story is you've gone into finance to go to places where you can make a difference and where you can use that skill to make the world a better place and it also sounds really exciting and interesting
1: um, yeah. No, I agree with you. I think it depends on how you make of the opportunity at the end of the day, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, for example, I think working in, like, uh, having a, bank, a job at a bank, I think, helped me have, like, enough money so that I could go and start a nonprofit profit in Nepal. Mm-hmm. It helped me to start my own companies afterwards. It gave me the network People who I could always reach out to they've been like great mentors for me and also like in terms of the job I think um, my background is in economics uh, like I love like uh, Learning about like what's happening in different economies what's happening around the world um, like the financial markets, so that's something I'm like actually very interested in so I think I loved my job and I um, it's very fast-paced, and again, depends on whether you like that kind of environment or not. Some people enjoy it; some people do not. So, I think it really depends on you as a person. I think at the end of the day, rather than generalizing, like the entire field has been good or bad, you know, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I see it. Exactly. Um, I think I really enjoyed it. I think I had a great experience, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity because right now, because now I feel I have the skill sets. To go ahead and do a, and pursue a lot of things that I'm passionate about, and again, like maybe someday I'll go back working in the field or not. I don't know about that yet, but I'm very thankful for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. So, talk a little bit more about your transition, like your decision making and how you kind of went about going from having, you know, the the steady like nine to five to doing what you do now, which is having like your hand in a lot of
1: different things. Yes. I think like, while I really enjoyed my job, um, I also have been a curious person. I wanted to start my own company and to do that, um, I realized that I have to be honest to my ideas, things that I'm trying to pursue and give my 100% dedication. And also it meant that if I was pursuing all the side projects on the side, I wasn't sure whether I would be able to give my 100% to my job. And so I wanted to be fair, to both sides, uh, I think that is what led me to, like, quit my job and be like, okay, um, I want to pursue this 100%, give me 100%, see where that leads me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that was risky, um, and, but uh, I think sometimes you have to make a decision and go ahead with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have to trust yourself, I think, at the end of the day,
0: and that's what I did. Definitely. And now you are pursuing
1: design. Yes, So I think that um, while I was trying to be an entrepreneur, I I realized that experience design, right? So trying to create products that your users are gonna enjoy and and love it. I think it, it matters a lot, sort of getting into the mental model of users and creating products accordingly. And that led me to sort of look into experience design as a field and pursue it. I think I'm, I'm, and right now, like I'm doing a boot camp uh, because I don't necessarily have the skill sets, whether that be uh, the tools or the theory side of it um I've, I've been doing the boot camp it's, it's sort of very intense so we have classes from 11 a.m till 8 p.m in the night but also we have a lot of assignments <laughs> so i'm like really busy with that too at times um i think i hadn't pulled all-nighters after college so i find myself pulling all-nighters sometimes but i'm like loving you know what i create oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um so i think it's, it's been a great experience uh doing this boot camp so for example uh, so i have a lot of friends now who are like also trying to be entrepreneurs and everybody needs to sort of create a design for the website uh, sort of design products uh because we all start with ideas at the beginning right so they all like approach me and it's really, it's been a great experience to like help my friends out with their ideas with the website so i think i'm really enjoying that aspect too sort of giving back, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and yeah. That,
0: that skill is definitely an asset because, I mean, as speaking as someone who does not have that skill and needing to use that skill, um, I, I've had to hire, I hired my friend Michelle as my web designer, shout out to Michelle, um, because if you don't know how to do it, there's really no fast, easy way to do it. Um, it's it's a really, I think web design is is kind of a difficult thing
1: to learn. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It's fun though. It's fun. Right. It's really fun. I think for me, what has been fun is uh, growing up. I used to paint a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when I'm designing and picking colors for my designs, it sort of reminds me of that. You know, everything mm-hmm. is just an empty canvas, you know, trying to, like, put a designs to it. So mm-hmm. I, think I I really enjoy that experience. Oh, that's great. Yes.
0: Yeah, but I guess what I'm, I'm thinking of is, You know, if you're an entrepreneur or you're someone that has a really good idea and you're trying to get it out there quickly and you don't have time to learn that, you definitely need someone who can do it for you.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes, yes, definitely, yes. Uh, (laughs) Agree. Uh, I'm glad I'm learning the skill set so that when I need to do that, I can just use myself. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yes.
0: So among all of your experiences, and this might not be the case, um, is there anything that you feel like you either benefited from it in the situation because you were a woman or were there any setbacks that you felt that you had because you were a woman in those
1: situations? I think, I think being a woman, it teaches you to be resilient and patient. I think growing up, I saw uh, women around me, whether that be my mother or my grandmother, or my cousins, you know. I've seen people struggle for their dreams, to pursue what they wanted, to pursue their freedom, or just to let other people know what they're thinking. I think seeing how much they had to work hard for whatever they earned in their life, I think uh, it taught me that, I have to work really hard, I think even like extra harder than men I knew around me um, to achieve what I wanted. And um, I don't know whether, um, and I think, I, I see, I think being able to work hard, um, and being calm and being resilient and being patient, I I see these as virtues at this point. Maybe as as growing up, uh, I didn't necessarily appreciate those qualities. I'm like, why do my mom always have to like work hard for this or why like, you know, maybe I didn't appreciate it as much as a child, but I think uh, now I appreciate this value. So I, I see this as a plus point. Definitely. Yeah.
0: Um, so I think we'll move into talking a little bit more about those questions. Sure. Um, but before we do that, um, why don't you tell my listeners um, if they're interested in maybe donating to your nonprofit or um, if they want to purchase some of your tea, where can they do those things?
1: Yes. Um so for my nonprofit, so we are a 501c nonprofit. Uh, you can reach out to me and then we can talk about like the ways for you to donate. So my email address is suniti, uh, S for Sam, U for umbrella, N for Nancy, I for ice cream, T for Tom, I for ice cream, 720 at gmail.com. So we haven't actually uh, raised funding Um At the moment, we've been using our own money, mostly. However, we are trying to come up with a fundraising plan, like campaign, uh, so that when we have the campaign, uh, I can just connect to you with our campaign, uh, people who are organizing a campaign directly. Okay, that sounds awesome. i will be happy to promote that for you. Yes, thank you. Uh, And with T, we are on Amazon right now. So if you type... Te, te Himalayan, T. tea. Uh, we should be there. Basically T for Tom E for Elephant E for app again, T for Tom, E for elephant, te, te and then T. Oh,
0: okay. Great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I might have to check some of that out. That sounds
0: Yeah, so you good. should. <laughs> um, so so Nidu, what the, does it mean to be a woman in 2018? That's
1: a Tough question. Uh, <laughs> I think, as I think, as, to follow up on our previous point, um, I think to be a woman, two thousand eighteen means somebody who can, who has the freedom to speak their mind, of freedom to act on the dreams, to pursue the dreams. I think uh, this is something that I want women in 2018 to have (laughs)
0: absolutely I wish everyone could have that freedom yes so is that also what it means to you specifically I I think so
1: because you know like uh I I look at women um I see women for example in boardrooms or I see women trying to start their companies or I see women in Nepal um trying to make a difference. And what I've noticed is they've always worked extra hard to be where they have been because there's so many people around them who say, oh, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. Your job is to be a caretaker in the family. Your job is to support your husband, which means that if you see any women doing amazing things out there, they've had to work extra hard to get there. So I think I think being a woman... I think means you've had you need to have all these virtues, which sometimes are like really difficult to have.
0: <laughs> right, there is just a situation where women don't really have things handed to them, and they're not easy. Um, there's like an element of feeling like you have to prove yourself in situations.
1: Totally, totally. even if like something as small as I was talking to. One of my friend who runs a tech company in Nepal, and he was telling me a lot of girls in Nepal, they don't want a job where they have to commute to their workplace. They want a job where they can work from home. And that's partly because commuting means you are vulnerable to being abused. For example, if you take a local bus, right? right. Chances is so high that somebody will come and, like, you know, try to, like, Cut you when you're in a bus, so it's like not a very safe space for women. um So I think, like, having to navigate all that, you know, like maybe for example, you're like working extra late at work, then you would think twice about how you're trying to get back home at night, and yeah. that is an issue a woman has to think about whether she is like somewhere. In a city in like Mumbai or in in Kathmandu or in the us you know so there's so many things we have to think about beforehand that our male colleagues don't necessarily have to think about
0: right and that can get in the way of getting farther along totally yes interesting yeah, so now what are your We'll switch gears a little bit here. What are your favorite parts of being a woman and what are the hardest parts of being
1: a woman? My favorite parts. I I I don't see myself obviously I've had to work really hard to be where I am and and I see myself as an incredibly lucky person because I had a chance to get outside Nepal and see so many different things and people. Um, in terms of like being my, um, I think like I'm, I try to be empathetic because of what I've been through in life. I feel I can connect with people around me easily. Um, but I don't know whether that comes because I'm a woman or because I have some experiences in life, which helps me, um, sort of um, connect with different kinds of people. Um, So I don't know whether I'm answering your question correctly here. (laughs) You can answer it however you want. (laughs) Yes. I think what I'm trying to say is that because I'm a woman and I've had to navigate so many things in life and their qualities, I think, and those, I'm thankful that had these qualities, and um, and that's something that I appreciate. I think at this point. All right. Well, I mean,
0: just thinking of what you were saying before, so maybe someone who was a man but had had similar experiences to you would have developed the same level of empathy or level of skill in those areas.
1: Exactly. And I mean. Oh. Being through such experiences, right? Like, being a woman, being from Nepal, being a minority in the U.S., uh, having had experience in so many different fields, I think, like, my experience is very unique. And that uniqueness is in every individual, right? Every person has their own story, their own unique experience. Right. And uh, sometimes I don't know whether um, you can assign like a gender role to that right I don't yes that's what I'm trying to say
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's I mean I feel like a lot of things that my guests and I talk about on the show are things that we end up saying well you know they're more like human qualities than specific exactly female
1: qualities like being empathetic you know being Mm -hmm. kind to people (laughs) Mm -hmm. being and being able to give back you know so I think those exactly are human qualities
0: right and I guess the frustrating part is that you know our society and our culture we kind of ascribe those specific traits or attributes or or virtues to certain genders um, when really they can be fostered by any gender
1: exactly so I think that is why so I was trying to answer your favorite part about being <laughs> a point is maybe like you know, because I was able to foster these qualities and partly because this is what was handed to me by the society I guess I'm thankful for that <laughs> it's like you know turning sometimes a negative experience into positive ones um, so exactly so exactly doing that I think <laughs> yeah definitely um so now your favorite
0: parts but what are the hardest parts of being a woman
1: um yeah I think um having to constantly think twice um, about the decisions you make about the life you lead uh, I sometimes find that a little difficult um like for example right um if I'm living in Nepal, there's a, there's a curfew uh, that you have to get home by a certain time. You cannot travel in the evening. You cannot travel alone. Um, I remember when I was trying to work on this project when I was in India, my manager told me, oh, you cannot go pursue this project on your own. You need to have a male colleague to work alongside you because you have to go on field visits in certain areas, and you cannot go on your own. So I understand the safety concerns, uh, but I wish the world was as safe to women as it is to men Um, sometimes. I think that I see as being a really hard part. So
0: you experienced a curfew in both India and Nepal?
1: So I experienced that sort of like everywhere, right? So when I was in Haiti, people were like, oh, you cannot travel on your own. Um, when I was in India, similarly, like in a professional setting, I was told you cannot um, go on site visits or field visits on your own. You need to have a uh, male team member go along with you to these places. Um, in Nepal too, right? So... Uh, it's considered unsafe to travel on your own, especially if it's a long distance traveling or if you're trying to travel late at night. It's considered extremely unsafe because there's so many stories of gang um, gang violence or abuse against women in these places. Um, so I think like, physical safety is something that I worry a lot about, uh, I think, being a woman. And I find it very hard. Although, like, I've tried to go against that and try to pursue, like travel on my own, go to different places. Like, you know, I've tried doing that, but that is something I always had to think twice about.
0: And so in those countries, like I know there's a similar situation in Pakistan where yes. women do have a curfew. Um, but in that situation it's closely tied to religion and some of the um, Islamic beliefs that the people in that country have. So is that a factor at all in the countries that you've been in, or is it purely safety?
1: I mean, those curfews are not set by the government, right? Those curfews, for example, are out of concerns like from your own family members. Sometimes they're like, "Oh, come back! You should be home by a certain time in the evening." Um, Also, when I was in India, uh, that was, like, my employer was concerned about me, um, mostly from, I think, it was mostly from your physical safety side. It was not, like, uh, tied to any religion. Oh, okay. Just wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow.
0: And that is is something that I've had, like, several guests echo that, you know, having to think about your physical safety um, and just, like, the heightened level of awareness that I think all women have kind of honed in on and cultivated Um, it's just like it's just a frustrating thing to have to spend time worrying about it at all and it frustrates me every time that a man is surprised when they learn how much time women spend thinking about that.
1: (laughs) Exactly I was actually uh, I saw this news very recently where it showed that Women in New York spend, I think, about $50 more than men on their Uber and Lyft rights every month. I believe that. Yeah, and that was partly because in the evenings when they're trying to commute to their home, uh, I think they prefer Uber out of safety concerns as well. I think it's something maybe in the US is more subtle than what you would see um, in some of the South Asian countries or elsewhere, but I think it's something that every woman thinks about a lot. Um, I I think what saddens me is women are, like, you know, 50% of the workforce, 50% of the population. And to see so many hours of women, like, where they cannot be productive because they cannot commute to the workplace, it's just, like, not fair. Um, and it's, it's, like, it's bad for the economy in general as well. <laughs> right. It, it, it's just
0: so unfair. Um, exactly. Like, you, what you were saying before about, like, you know, so women have to do – double the work but then they have less time to do it in.
1: (laughs) exactly exactly agree with you so
0: this might tie into what we were just talking about but is there anything that you think the world needs to know about women that it doesn't know already
1: i think because of the constraints around women i think they have learned to navigate the issues I think they're very resilient and very creative in solving problems. Um and I love that about women, you know. Um and I hope the world appreciates that more about women. It appreciates women more.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um and I I think about that a lot that maybe the reason, you know, many women have like these very positive qualities is because of adversity we've experienced. Yeah. Um, and so maybe if we didn't have those obstacles, we wouldn't necessarily have those qualities. I don't know. It's a, kind of an unfinished thought, but I, yeah. it's something that I just think about.
1: I guess, as I mentioned earlier, right? So it's like, as a woman, we learn to turn our adversities into something, like positive qualities. Um, I mean, I wish the the world was a just place where we would have an equal opportunity um, or equal platform as, as, as guys, you know, where it was as safe for us as men. Um, but in, in the case that it is not, I think we've learned to get creative and navigate and find our own path. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Kind of
0: forced yeah. into it, but it ends up being a positive thing. Exactly, yes. So what issue that affects women are you most passionate about?
1: Mm, I mean, um, the run, the nonprofit that I run, right? Um, so we work uh, on, like, sexual abuse on children. But I think what I'm, like, really passionate about is, like, violence against women. Again, like, the child sexual abuse something that can happen to both a male child or a female child. But also what I've seen is that... Um, as the child grow older the violence against women is much higher the physical violence against women um when you look at the stats uh it is much higher where sometimes um like husbands feel that it's okay to come home and beat your wife it's okay to rape your wife, you know, like I think they did some surveys in some of the countries where they thought were predominant. like a lot of members thought that it was okay. So I think I think violence against women is something that I care a lot about. Um, and I wish women didn't have to go through that.
0: Right. Same. I think there was a study that this number comes up like often, but I think there was another study done recently um, that basically confirmed that the most unsafe place for women to be is in their home because most women are killed or injured by their partner whether it's a husband or a boyfriend um and that's just and also women are at their most vulnerable in that situation they're more likely to be killed by a partner when they're pregnant and it's just it's just horrifying it's a horrifying statistic yeah exactly we got pretty dark here, pretty fast. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely. Any anything that people can do to advocate for um, that statistic to go down, I think, is a wonderful thing. Agree. Do you think your nonprofit will ever branch out to like creating materials for women or for people who are older than children?
1: Um. So right now our entire focus is on children and there's so much work that needs to be done Because right now we're trying to work on the preventive side of things, but also we would like to expand and provide um, Counseling services to children. We've already been abused uh, So I think there's like so much that needs to be done. So we haven't had much chance to think about how we could incorporate but i think that is an issue that a lot of women face uh and i growing up i've seen a lot of women around me being um violated um who had to go through a lot of violence from their own hu- in the hands of their own husbands so i think uh, that is something uh that i'm passionate to help uh but i'm sure i'll find ways <laughs> i'm sure you will too <laughs>
0: It seems like anything you have an interest in, you definitely pursue, which I think is a great quality.
1: Thank you.
0: So what changes would you like to see for women in the future? I mean, we, we've talked about a bunch, but...
1: Okay. Yeah. I think um, they there are, like, hopefully um, changes in the, in the justice system where if a woman complains that they have been violated, uh, they would listen to them seriously. Um, And we've seen examples in the U.S. recently, or we've seen those examples elsewhere as well. Um, I I wish the world would be physically safe for women to travel around uh, to pursue their dreams. Um, I wish um, that... uh, when it comes to employment or your wage, women do not have to work extra hard compared to their male colleagues to be on the same uh, position or the same level field. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of changes I want to see in the world.
0: So let's move into talking about: Are there any women who you admire and? Do you have a story of a subversive woman?
1: I think there are many women that I admire. I recently read uh, Michelle Obama's book on Becoming. Um, oh, how was it? It was great to see somebody I really look up to. Um, I I look up to some of my professors whom I had at college. Um I, I looked up to my manager at work. She was a female who was trying to manage her house as well as like be good at what she did at work, too. Like you know, I, I look up to uh, my cousins in Nepal. Uh, I, I, I think like I've been surrounded with um, with fighters, you know. Um, that's why, like, it's, it's really tough for me to just pick one women. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm really putting yeah, you on the spot yeah, here. Couple as well. uh, I think I've been incredibly lucky in that sense to be surrounded with women who have achieved a lot, who have had to fight their, uh, battles and come out of it even stronger. Um, yes. I'm happy to be around. Yes. To have had that experience of knowing them.
0: Yep. I think... Every woman is just as strong as all the women who are around her. And I think every woman would probably says the same thing about the people that she's surrounded by. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so I'm actually going to get into my story of subversion here for the end of the episode. And so the women, the woman who I am going to give some more detail about is Kalita Brohi, Um, And she founded the Sukhar Foundation. And so Khalida was born and raised in Pakistan. And she had kind of a unique situation. Like Pakistan is divided into um, like rural villages that are a little bit more traditional. And then um, the cities which are a little bit more modern and have access to different things um, and access to like the Western world. And so her family traveled back and forth between these two places because of her father's job. And so when she was in each area, she started to notice the difference between the customs in each area. And, you know, she was in the cities. The cities were a lot more modern. There was a a little bit more of an emphasis on education for women and just um, ability to have some autonomy. And her friends that were in the village were being forced into child marriages. And then um, the last straw for her was when one of her friends was killed in an honor killing. And so from there, um, she decided to (coughs) speak out. And so um, she started creating content um, in the form of videos and different things like that. And she tried to basically change the minds of people um, and basically was just kind of speaking out and saying, like, honor killings are bad. People should not be doing these anymore. Um, And so that content was reaching people in, the cities and, like, the more modern parts of the country. Um, But as she was doing that, she realized that, like, in the rural areas, the content was not reaching those people and the honor killings were still happening. And um, she realized that, like, honor killings are kind of an integral part of some of the customs of the rural people in those villages. And she realized that, like, just saying it was bad and not addressing that part of the cultural connection um was just not the right approach to have. She w- she wasn't really having an impact by talking about this in the cities and then not seeing a change in the rural areas. Um so she decided to go with a different approach and what she did was start a nonprofit organization that gave women in the rural areas um uh, the tools they needed to be self-sufficient and the tools they needed um, to promote their own cultural traditions um, most notably she talks about how she empowered them to create their embroidered goods which they're known for and basically gave women the tools to like start their own businesses and have financial independence and then in turn um, kind of have more monetary value within the household which would then make you know the men in the situation less likely to mistreat them um, so it it's kind of like a slow burn trying to make change happen here but that's how the Sohair Foundation was born Mm -hmm. and I just think that that's very subversive especially because at first her attempts to change the situation um, did fail. It was an approach that she openly admits did not work um, but she did have the courage to try a different approach and now She's making a real difference. She's reached over a million women in Pakistan through this program.
1: That's um,
0: and it's kind of turning the tide. The only issue is the information, the article that I read about this was from around the year 2014, uh, mm-hmm. because she actually did a TED Talk in 2014. Um, mm-hmm. But I had a little bit of trouble finding um, information that was recent. They do have a website that has been updated for 2018, um, but beyond that, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of press. So... I, it appears that they are still an active organization, um, mm-hmm. but I just thought that she, that was just such a subversive act, especially in such a rigid culture um, that really is punitive towards women in a
1: lot of ways. So, I can imagine that, yes. Must have, been a, must have been difficult to get started, to convince mm-hmm. even her family that she was doing something as courageous as this.
0: Right. I mean, it sounded like she did have the support of her family because her family was kind of like you know, going back and forth between the very rigid rural culture and the city, the more modern, like, westernized city culture. And, but yeah, I I don't know. I I know that she mentioned through this article that her friends heard that she was making these videos and they were very angry with her. Even though Mm -hmm. it was, like, a terrible thing that was happening and could happen to them, they felt very disrespected in the fact that she was just kind of, like, blasting it and saying no and and so i think like the more subtle way of making a difference is working (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) yes
0: so i wanted to just share that story about kalita brohi and the shukar foundation um so go i'll post information about the website if anyone's interested in checking it out um so suniti is there anything else that you want to share with my listeners for this episode
1: it's been great speaking with you, Kelsey, mm-hmm. uh, and sharing my own life experience, talking about the organizations that I'm involved with. Um, thank you so much for having me and giving me the platform to um, speak about the, the, the issues that I'm passionate about and share my own story. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is what Womankind is all about,
0: hearing people tell their own stories in their own voice. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on, Suniti. Um, all right, so yeah, so listeners, um, if you need to get in touch with womankind, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Womankind Podcast. Uh, you can visit my website at www.womankindpodcast.com or you can email me at womankindpodcast at gmail.com. So thank you for listening. Bye friends.